Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View From The Lane. It's the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host Danny Kelly. Alongside me as so often, I'm delighted to say, is The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook. And alongside him, making a long-awaited, much-anticipated and very welcome return, it's Charlie Eccleshare, everybody. The Eccleshare is back. Hello, Charlie. Hello, how are you doing? The, the excitement of my voice is real. Love Tim Spears, but uh, you're the you're the original gangster on here, and it's great to see you. You well? I'm really well, yeah, and it's really really good to be back. I've been really looking forward to doing this, so uh, yeah, I'm excited, and it's great to see you. Only via Zoom, but yeah, still, still, and of course, uh, we're going to be losing Jack sometime in the in the medium future. You see the welcome you'll get when you come back. Jack's almost worth it, isn't it? Almost, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're not quite, and <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, on this episode, we'll be discussing why Conte still hasn't gone, um, who could be next, and the bigger picture regarding Enoch and Daniel Levy. Um, obviously, it's a bit of the calm after the storm of the weekend um, when obviously that press conference from which Jack is still getting therapy to get past was, was still very much in our in our minds. Charlie, we will do a handover episode with you and Tim Spears, so I'd be really interested to compare your experiences of this very turbulent six months at Spurs, yours from a distance, him from the coalface. But um, before we do that, in an upcoming episode, can we um, just give us a, a, your uh, opinion of what your, your feelings of what it's been like, slightly distant from, from Spurs over the last uh, five, six months? Yeah, I, I've definitely been really surprised with the performance level. I mean, when I left, it was... Spurs were a point off top. They were third. They'd just beaten Leicester 6-2. And it was at that point where it was like, well, they're playing pretty badly but are picking up good results. So one of two things is going to happen here. Either they're going to kick on and play well and then imagine how good the results are going to be then or these performances are going to catch up with them and the results are going to suffer. And obviously it was very much the latter. But And it felt like it could go either way at that point. And I have to say, I've just been really surprised by... It took until probably the City game in February for a performance you'd say was actually a good all-round team performance. So that's it's been straight. It's been a mystery. You know, I thought they'd come third this season. I said that in our pre-season predictions. And if you told me at the start of the season that a North London team was going to be top going into the international break... After that 3-0 derby in May when Spurs looked so superior and obviously pinched fourth, I would have thought that team was going to be Tottenham. So, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a surprise to me, the performance levels, even if, you know, they're only a place lower down than when I left and they could have, had they held on against Southampton, they would have remained third. But that would seem hugely deceptive. And I guess it is partly anyway because teams below them have games in hand. But uh, yeah, I mean, during that period before Christmas, I was in awe of Tim's ability to write different match pieces when every match was basically exactly the same. Where Spurs, well, there'd be two variants. Spurs would be awful in the first half; that was a constant, and then either they turn it around or they wouldn't. Yeah, he was, so he was definitely his earning his to, massive stipend then, wasn't he? Cause yeah, it, exactly. His ability to f- find interesting ways to sort of uh, reflect on those games was was very impressive. Okay, well, I'd like to get into that with more depth with you when we have Tim himself here. But uh, back to the up to today, up to now, the minute, the moment. Uh, Jack, I'm turning to you here. What is happening at the moment with Antonio Conte, with the players who are away on international duty, the players who remain um, at the training centre? And what is happening at the club in what appears to be absolute stasis since we last spoke? 
So, um, Antonio Conte is still head coach as of 9.40 in the morning on Thursday. Uh, I believe he's still in Italy, where he returned at the start of the week. At the training ground, I, be- I think the players who are in, the first team players who are in for training this week will be Longley, Danjuma, Sessegnon, Tanganga, Lloris, Austin and Whiteman. Plus, of course, quite a lot of, and Lucas Moray, plus lots of the youngsters. Of the young players, Ryan Mason will be taking training. That's what's happening at the moment. In the background, clearly, conversations have been happening all week about Conte's future. I still believe that the plan is that Conte will stop being Tottenham manager at some point. This has taken longer than I think many people would have expected. But the strange thing is that it's... I get the impression that what's going on is being conducted with an awful lot of privacy and discretion because very little information and news is coming out. You know, I'd, I'd love to come on this podcast, Danny, and tell you, well, Levy said to Levy said this to Conte's camp on Monday, and then he called up some other potential replacements on Tuesday and, and all the rest of it. But it's proving to be... But very little information is coming out of the Tottenham camp. You know, it's not like... And this is true of, I think, all, frankly, all publications and journalists that, that cover Tottenham. It's been a very, very quiet week in terms of new news developments and I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had with people over the last week or so expecting them to have a, a kind of an idea of maybe what's going on in private and nobody really seems to know anything about about the specifics of what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah I mean talking to as Jack says talking to other Spurs correspondents as well everyone's got this sense it's very disconcertingly quiet everyone's trying to find out information I mean I was thinking back and I do remember before Pochettino got sacked do you remember Jack there was sort of whispers in the first because it happened in the second week of an international break sort of whispers in that first week but not a lot more than that and they did a good job at keeping that pretty quiet and so I think we're all here we're all sat here bracing ourselves because we're just we're I mean my sense is that they won't need to have someone in place until early next week because that's when players start coming back from international duty and they start play, preparing for the Everton game. They're also helped maybe by the fact the Everton game isn't till the Monday night. So until then, they can, bear in mind as well that it's not an easy, straightforward process um, sacking a manager, especially when that manager has... It's not just him you're having to get rid of. He's got a lot of staff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those are complicated negotiations They'll be sounding out a lot of people on them and they do have a little bit of time to play with because they don't need to have someone in place until the early part of next week. So that's my sense as to why it's dragging on like this. But as Monday, Tuesday hoves into view, there has to be some sort of solution. Um, And also, as was the case with, I mean, with Pochettino, they obviously were also working to get in a replacement straight away. What's complicated this time is whether they do that again, whether they go down the Ryan Mason route again. That's a really big decision. And I think it would stand to reason that, you know, in an ideal world, you get in a permanent replacement now rather than kicking that can down the road if they can get the the right person in now. But a lot of the targets either are still in jobs that they can't leave or they might think, well, you know what, I'd rather wait until the summer when we can really see the lay of the land. There could potentially be a lot of big jobs available um, in the summer. So do you want to just hold fire when you've potentially got quite a lot to lose coming in to just 10 games, is that worth taking the risk? I'm sure that Tottenham are at very least exploring the possibility of finding a permanent replacement now. I'd be very, very surprised if that were not the case because I'm sure at the front of their minds will be what happened in 2021. They sacked Mourinho without really a plan for what what came next. They gave it to Ryan Mason for the last seven games of the season. I thought Ryan Mason did pretty well. But then they they still, when the season finished, they still didn't have a permanent manager and they didn't have a permanent manager until the end of June, days before the start of pre-season. You know, the whole process took more than 10 weeks. And I think that they will be desperate. I mentioned, I think, last week about how much Daniel Levy would want a, a smooth transfer of power. I think even now, that is still what he will want. And I'm sure if he could get a permanent replacement in now and he could sack Conte, appoint the new bloke, that he would rather do that than do than than sack Conte before he than sack Conte go to Mason and not have a permanent guy and leave the permanent process ticking along in the background. As the days have gone by, there's a part of my my brain that's even started going. Well, maybe Conte's going to see out the season. That's that's not on the cards, is it? He he, he that's over. It's just a question of Can't how we get that. to the end of the end of the season. 
Well, uh, the number of times I said I can't see that this season, Charlie, only yeah. for it to turn out to be exactly that, you know? But there are a lot of things going on here because I also think symbolically for Daniel Levy to have to turn to Ryan Mason again for the second time in two years would just be the most kind of vivid symbol of the stasis that Spurs are in because it would be they'd be in exactly the same position as they were in two years ago. And I think that would be a really bad look. And I think, as Jack says, something that Daniel Levy would really want to avoid. And we've seen before as well with that Pochettino to Mourinho, that was done incredibly quickly. Do you remember Pochettino was sacked on the Tuesday night by I think 7am, maybe even 6am the following morning, the, the announcement came that Jose Mourinho had replaced him. It was incredibly quick with with Nuno as well he went on the Monday morning and already it was by the Monday afternoon we knew Conte was coming in that's how he'll want this to operate and as Jack says the lessons from two years ago which was embarrassing you know for for the whole club but then I guess the follow-up question is is it necessarily even if it's a really bad look to have an interregnum and give it to Mace for the rest of the season it would be surely preferable to do that if you can't get the right guy in now. They should, only, Absolutely. they should only get a permanent replacement now if they honestly all believe this is 100% the right guy. Otherwise, you are better off waiting until the summer because, you ha- because as we've seen, thinking about the short term rather than the long term has cost them a lot over the last few years. I, I agree with Charlie, but I have no confidence that that, that will be the case. Why is that? that they, I, have, I have no confidence. I just don't think, I just think that at, at Tottenham, they don't, they don't really think strategically. They think first, who do we want the manager to be? And then once you get the manager in place, you kind of cook up the strategy afterwards. So I think it's much more likely that they would they would want a new big a new kind of shiny, glamorous, big name manager to come in now, I'm I would imagine, even if he wasn't the right person for whatever reason, rather than doing it the right way around and coming up with the strategy first and then appointing the manager afterwards. I just I think that Tottenham, the Tottenham board have, they've got no benefit of the doubt left in the tank on this, I'm afraid, after the last few years. And I, but I, I, don't know, I don't know why, and this is a bizarre thing to be thinking in some ways, they are not a publicly listed company. You know, it is owned by the people who, who own it. It's not on a stock exchange. Why are they worried about the optics? This is one of the few advantages of the, of the ownership model in, uh, in England, particularly, you don't have to worry about what people think about you, really, um, particularly in short terms like this, because 90% of football fans think their owners are gits anyway. What difference does it make? Just do what is right. Think carefully and do what is right. Um, and definitely, I mean, I'm disappointed, not in you, Jack, but in, 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 in to hear that they might make a short-term an appointment just for the sake of, of, of appearances, because it, it is such a critical appointment. And, There'll be lots of people there, Charlie, right now listening to us who are very disappointed that it isn't already. Not everyone, of course, and I think they do have to do due diligence. Frankly, that you know there are several high-profile managers out there who are currently not in work, and I do get why they might want to wait till the summer, but they can be talked around. Among those, though, is is Mauricio Pochettino, who, with every passing day, becomes more the king across the water. Yeah, but again, I mean, I think for him, there is a lot to consider there. Is this necessarily the right environment to walk into? Is this the right time to walk into that environment? And yeah, do you want to wait until the summer when, who knows, Real Madrid might be available, Bayern Munich might be available. There will be more options. He is not getting those jobs. Why wouldn't he get Real Madrid? They've tried him twice before. I think, uh, yes, I Real Madrid tried to appoint Pochettino in, in 2018 and again in 2021. I don't think, I think it's plausible that if they get if Carlo Ancelotti goes at the end of the season, that Real Madrid would at least try for a third time. You know, the last two times they tried to get Pochettino, the issue was that, you know, he had a contract at Tottenham in 2018. He'd just signed with no release clause in 2021 when they tried to get him out of PSG. He was only been there six months and PSG said no. Whereas this time there's no contractual barriers to Pochettino. There is, but, going but, there, to Real but there, is a, there is the performance of PSG in the Champions League in the in the in the time between the last approach and now. True. That's 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 why I think there might be a little bit reticent um, and there are Champions League winning managers on the market now who haven't got a job Thomas Tuchel uh, for for example I think Tuchel would probably be first narrow first choice for Real Madrid ahead of Pochettino yeah, but that's, I, I don't that's know what I th- that's what I think as well but also if, if Bayern Munich becomes available maybe Tuchel goes there which could happen I mean it, it, a Nagelsmann could be on the market as well I mean there are a lot of all the Italian clubs if, except Napoli will be looking to, to I suspect change their managers yeah. 
Yep, all of them. I'm thinking of the, of the, of the bigger ones. Um, Roman, not so. No, that's not right. They love him there, um, but you can never tell what's going to be happening with him. Um, all right, so we ha- we can't. Man, you know, you can't make stuff up for the sake of hits and downloads and clicks. So we we don't know what is happening in the Spurs boardroom. And again, I'd, I'll back you up in so far as I understand. There's a quite apart from appointing a new person, just the complexities. At a corporate level of getting a half a dozen, I suppose, one very highly paid and five or six very well paid individuals to the end of their contract legally is tricky. And we saw that in the case of Antonio Conte at Chelsea, it ended up in the courts, didn't it? Um, let's hope we, we can do it a bit more cleanly than that. I also think if they wanted to pay off Conte and all of, and all of his staff, they could do that pretty quickly. You know, Conte's got what four million pounds of salary left in his contract, but I think we can. I think I think it's safe for us to say they may not want to pay Conte all of the salary left on his contract. They may not think that he's earned it. Sure, and and therefore it it could be it could it could plausibly come down to a process of negotiation. Yeah, because Conte probably won't want. I mean, Conte won't want to come back to England. You know, he's staying in Italy now. He's not going to want to come back to training next Our week. Arrivederci. The Everton game. Yeah. So it, I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if there's an element of, you know, s- sort of standoff, negotiated brinkmanship on this particular point as to how much money he's owed. But the, the, yeah, the standoff, the standoff may come early next week when he's due back, because then you're in serious. I mean, that's potentially a an important cutoff because then you are in the realms of well you're due back you're not coming back that then gives Spurs some leverage that could be very useful to them yeah what would also give Spurs a lot of leverage is if they if it looks like they do have another manager lined up because if they don't have a manager lined up to come in to replace Conte then Conte has more leverage Mm. to get everything that he might want in severance negotiations but if Tottenham do have a new manager lined up then all of a sudden it's uh Conte might have to accept Except a package. Do you think he might turn up outside the training centre and be blo- his car will be blocked by a barrier? You sit, sit outside like Peter Odenwingi. I suspect I can, I can see that coming. One or two uh, quick comments from the players who, of course, are in that most dangerous place for the clubs away on his national duty, where mm. their matey and friendly local journalists get to talk to him in their native language, or in Matt Doherty's case, English, Irish. And I was, you know, we've had Kulusevsky. Who of course has worked with Conte at two clubs, saying you know what a great manager he is, and um, you know we're all disappointed, exactly what you'd expect. Matt Doherty, prior to captaining um, the Republic of Ireland to a triumphant three-two win over Latvia last night, was saying that he's just the greatest manager he's ever worked under, etc., etc. Um, Spurs be mad to get rid of him. And my favourite though was Emil Hoiberg saying that, uh, and this is so Viking, isn't it? That if he was to take the manager's post-match comments at the press conference you attended, Jack. Seriously, um, to take them to heart, I think was the phrase he used in, in, in his own language, the manager would have to be more explicit. It was like he was saying, come on then, tell me it's me. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair enough because it, one of the funny things about what Conte said, of course, was that he wasn't saying there's two or three bad apples. No. He said he said the whole squad is rotten, basically. Yeah. And I'm sure if you're someone at Hoybjerg who, you know, whatever you might think about him as a footballer, he's someone who prides himself on his his application. He's also very well known for his proximity to managers. You know, yeah. very, people thought some of the players thought he was a teacher's pet under Mourinho. I think that on um, Conte's first, I think when Conte showed up, he was kind of in on the first morning. You mm. know, asking Con, you know, just so he could say hello to Conte. So he's always been very Cup very tea, close Antonio? to managers. Yeah, <laughs> so bringing him an apple and a banana. So I think he's probably thinking it'd be a little, ca- a little coffee, uh, wouldn't it? Be a little coffee. You can only hold the yeah. handle with two fingers for Antonio, won't it? I would speculate that he would be pretty. He would be pretty pissed off, given how much he values, you know, being being a good pro, being close to the manager, and uh, being someone that the manager can always rely on. But it's funny. I mean, the Doherty thing. I've been saying this like it's not obviously now the relationship is broken but until not long ago a lot of the players or some of the players anyway did still really rate Antonio Conte and they loved him for a period so what Matt Doherty I mean Matt Doherty left in January didn't he before things got really toxic there was a lot of goodwill there it's just that it's gradually been eroded and obviously burnt to the ground by by what he said uh, on the weekend I found it funny as well Pedro Porro gave an interview with The Guardian and he was saying it, it took Sid Lowe to kind of reveal to him what Antonio had said. I don't know if Porro was playing dumb, but 
what his version of events was that he 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 had no idea that um, Conte had said what he had. I mean, I yeah, I find that kind of hard to believe. I think most of the players were well aware of it as it was happening. But yeah, he must have been oblivious. If that is the case, he would have been oblivious on the way back as to oh, this is a bit of an awkward environment. I guess they're just upset with the draw. I mean, the, the the irony for him would be that he he had had his best game for Spurs, was Spurs' man of the match, and played pretty well, I thought. Um, to mm. be told that he was selfish then, um, because that was the word that was used by all of them, um, must have been a, 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 a bit of a shock. And when uh, no doubt, no doubt, Sid saw him trembling. He doesn't seem the trembling type, does he, Pedro Porro? I was imagining, Jack, you at the game and sort of thinking about what your match piece was going to be. And Porro scores like the the, the rise Porro of Pedro piece, Porro. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you start. There Spurs was a moment. Finally have the, Is this the moment? Spurs <laughs> finally have the goal scoring <laughs> yeah, wing back. They'd always wanted. Exactly. And, yeah, like, kind of okay, and then the three went up. Yeah, this, this piece still works. Porro this piece is flying good. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it all collapsed. R.I.P. Jack, I know you wanted to. Uh, to do a very unusual thing on the view from Elaine and to talk about why you were, Charlie, you want to, might want to prepare yourself for this, why you were wrong about something. Because, of course, mostly what we do yeah, is tell people well, how great we are and how right we are about everything. Yeah, yeah. indeed. No, I was, so this is off the, this is a, an idea that both Charlie and I have had kind of, I think, simultaneously over the course of this season. It's been that I think we both, we were both really optimistic about Spurs at the start of the season. Charlie wrote a really good piece on this yesterday about how, about which he can talk about himself, but part of which was how all the pundits got it wrong, really, including us, I think, who said that Conte Conte would be a success. So I've just, and I do get, I mean, this is not why I want to talk about it, but I do get a lot of a lot of stick on Twitter from people who said, you said Conte was going to be good, you said Conte was going to be good, and he's been rubbish. And, you know, fair enough, because I did get it wrong. Um, but I just, I've just been thinking about why, why did we get it wrong? Why did we think that, why was he so much worse than we expected him to be? And um, I don't know, really. I'd be interested, I mean, I've got a few theories. One is, I mean, we can go into these in more detail if we've got time. One is, I think, underestimating how corrosive the contract situation would be, allowing him to run his contract down by, in the final year, which no other club would countenance. I guess the other is underrating how, well, kind of underrating how much he would need his own top quality players in every position to make it work. I kind of thought, oh, Conte, he's not like Guardiola. He can make it work without elite players. But actually, I think that's not true. I think he can't make it work without elite players. So those are the big two things. I think, the, And the other thing is, and this is maybe where it kind of ties back to Mourinho a bit, is underestimating how quickly players would get bored of his style. When he was at Chelsea, the players got bored of him in the second season. At Inter, he actually won the league in the second season, so it wasn't put to test how he'd do in a third. But I think in modern, and this is certainly something we found with Jose, in modern football, players get bored of managers quicker than ever before, really. And But I wasn't expecting Tottenham players to get bored of Conte's methods within six months. That that, that I, I thought he would have another year of grace. So those are my theories. I'd be interested to hear Charlie's, because I imagine Charlie's probably been on a similar journey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and that is something I talked about in this piece which is basically the thrust of which is that no one comes out of this looking well really the Conte era and I include us you know the, the media who largely uh, were very pro Conte and I, th- I think part of it is there is a real deference still in this country and in the sort of established media towards these kind of older slightly leg- you know legendary managers and you know Last season, Gary Neville said that Rafa Benitez as Everton would be the kind of big overachievers of the season. You know, you think even Rafa Benitez was still, despite seeming like a complete busted flush, was still being held up as, you know, no, but you can trust him. You know, these this sort of binary between winners and losers. And, you know, Conte is a winner. Mourinho is a winner. Benitez is a winner. They're guaranteed success. It should be said as well, Conte was primarily brought in to salvage last season and he did that he did really well last season you know it hasn't been a complete uh, failure I think had they not there wouldn't have been that many managers who could have come in and rescued that pretty wretched Nuno Spurs team and got them fourth but I keep thinking back to the North London derby in May 2022 Spurs won 3-0 uh, and I wrote at the time I think reflecting the prevailing narrative, which was that the master had schooled the apprentice and, you know, welcome to the big boy leagues, Mikel, because this is for this is for Antonio Conte and Mourinho and those kind of guys, you know, back in your box. And it was, you know, Spurs were hailed as kind of future proofing themselves by 
all you have to do really is hire a big name winning manager like Conte. He'll come in and get you fourth. Don't mess around with this kind of young upstart because you're going to lose 3-0 and you're going to your players are going to lose their heads. And the way in which things have sort of unraveled since then and the diverging fortunes of those two clubs has just been quite uh, a wake-up call, I think, to to a lot of people. I, I really, I think I just really overestimated, yeah, h- how sustainable someone like Conte, appointing someone like Conte really was. I think the mistake that people make with Mourinho and Conte is that we get so wrapped up with this idea about winning mentality and the idea that if a manager has won trophies, it's because they have a winning mentality. And if you have that winning mentality, you can go into a club and it will rub off on the players by osmosis. I mean, I, I think that's that's nonsense, really, because what they what they have is not so much winning mentality, but winning methods. Like when Mourinho was so, so successful, it's because his methods were better than anyone else, particularly, you know, in terms of like periodization, in terms of his tactical preparation of players, in terms of the kind of psychological tricks he was able to, to play to motivate players. And when Conte came through, Conte had winning methods. You know, he was so relentless on the training ground. He had an incredibly structured and disciplined style of play, which he three, was able four, to three was kind players. of tactically exactly. ahead of the curve. Um, and he w- and nobody else really played like him then, or I don't think really played quite like him since. But like winning methods don't last forever. Like we've seen this with the decline of Mourinho's career. You know, Mourinho had about ten years where he was at the absolute top of the game, and since then, I think really, well, basically since Real Madrid, which he left coming up to ten years ago, he's been he's been on the downslope. Even though he, he did win the title at Chelsea second time around, Conte, I think it's up for debate whether or not he's still at the downslope. But he's had his ten years at the top. You know, he start. It's more than ten years since he started at Juventus, which was like probably the peak of his career. So it's not. Arsene Wenger, we saw something similar. Exactly. Like ma- managers generally only have ten years at the top, and so like, winning methods don't last forever. That's the I mean, point. Look, I, I, I've never understood this idea about winning mentality. Of course. You have to be have a certain toughness to succeed in any profession where it's very competitive. Professional sport is the most obvious example. And I honestly believe that in the next decade, in the next few years, that's when we have these people at the absolute peak of physical fitness, that you know, clubs will really start to... I mean, it'll happen in America first because we'll be too ashamed to do it in, in, in Europe. And we'll start to really work on players' minds. But if it's about, just about mm. mentality then we all know people down the pub who genuinely believe that they could manage a football club better than um, Pep Guardiola or, or Nagelsmann, whoever it is. They have the mentality. But the, it's nonsense. You have yeah. your talent and you have your outcomes, and that's what you have. And when you go to each new club, that all has to start again. Um, and I, I, I mm-hmm. never believed that. I, I've been on a slightly different journey. I, I think I can, you know, I can have the paperwork to back it up. I never um, believed in the Conte thing. I didn't think he was the right kind of football manager for, for Spurs tactically. Um, then I had, to go, I had to eat some humble pie towards the end of the season where last season they played some brilliant football. Let's be truthful. scored a lot of goals and were rolling over teams. And he did fantastically well to qualify for the Champions League. The contract to me was one of two things. It destabilized the situation. And I think I'll be banging on about it a long time ago, the effect it would probably have on people. That was a guess, you know, you can't you can't be sure to be right. But also it, uh, and we're, we're all in danger of confirmation bias, but it backed up my idea that Antonio Conte, like some of, not all of, some of this generation of supermanagers you're all talking about there, it actually isn't about the football club that he works for. It's about him and his career. And I think that leads to disconnect very, very quickly. First with the fans, and then eventually with the players. We know that managers are not going to last 50 years at a club. They're going to last two in the Premier League. It's now down to less than two years, isn't it? But let's say at successful clubs, it might be two or three years. All you can require of them in that time is they are 100% committed to the project. And I didn't mm. get that impression with him. It went very badly with me, which is meaningless, but it, I'm, I'm sure it starts to affect everything else at the football club. And, you know, Everybody is entitled to be the way they want to be within the laws of the land. I just found it his ego about his own methods, whereas I think the best managers by and large these days, and I'd include obviously Pep Guardiola, I'd include Jurgen Klopp in that, the best managers are the ones who put them, however much in the, in the, in the comfort of their own home, they think, God, I'm a bloody genius. 
Get a, get me a mirror. I need to look at a genius in public. At least they talk about they talk about us. They talk about mm. the team. It's a collegiate effort. It has to be. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. Just a slight intonation of excitement in my voice at the return of, of the Chaz. Perhaps more importantly, at the right moment, you should remember that you can vote for us at the Sports Podcast Awards. Uh, you have to go to the website and create an account. It's free and it's really easy. That's www.sportspodcastgroup.com. After that, head over to the awards tab, then vote. Thusly, click on the best team podcast. Click vote next to the view from the lane. Don't mistakenly vote for somebody else. And then click submit your vote in the top right-hand corner of the page. Do that, actually, because we'd like to win an award and swank about the place. The endless waiting, as the theme music at the start and the end of this podcast illustrates, is difficult, but it does give us a chance to speculate a little bit more than about who next. First of all, very quickly, uh, Jack, is how involved is Paratici in this? Because... He is Conte's ally, and he's still under the cloud of the Juventus investigation. Is he picking the next manager? I don't think he's picking the next manager. I think ultimately that will be Daniel Levy. I do think he's been drawing up the shortlist this month, and this this goes back to before Southampton. I think for a few weeks now he's been trying to come up with a list of names to go to Levy. Although ultimately, you know, when if you go back to October 2021 when they sacked Nuno, it was the deal to get Conte in was done completely by Levy. You know, it's not I, the way I've described it in the past is that Levy kind of leant over Paratici and leant over Paratici and grabbed the steering wheel. But even that's not quite true because he he kind of did it in private. You know, I think Paratici oh, so was, was running the car by rem- by remote. Paratici <laughs> had the steering yeah, wheel and, in his hand. It's turning to the left. It's turning to the right. He had no idea why. And then on the Saturday evening, you know, Levy said, "Well, Nuno's going and Conte's coming in after the Man United game." So, brilliant. I think ultimately it will be Levy. And even though Paratici can draw up a shortlist, it would totally be consistent with what we know for Levy to say, "Oh, actually, Fabio, I've got manager X, and he's sat in the car park outside." Yeah, go, so go, go, make him a cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Pierre Emil's gone for the biscuits. You make the tea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we don't like you know. And you're right. We're, like Paratici's position is under some scrutiny, to put it mildly, at the moment. So we don't. Um, but that's how I see the situation at the moment. Charlie, you're you're you know you, I'm sure you've been watching this with, with a tremendous laser like precision over the past few, a few couple of weeks. But you're a new voice to us back on the podcast. An incredible thing to say. Who do, who do you think they will be going for and who do you think they should be going for? And I, I'll accept that we, you, you can't go in depth on here, but I just want to hear your, your some some names and some quick views. I'm, I was saying this yesterday to Jack and James. I'm really conflicted um, as to who I, th- first of all, who I think they should go for. Uh, I mean, I opted for Pochettino in this piece that a bunch of us did where we said, uh, who we thought should be the new manager. I, d- I don't think it's a no-brainer by any means. I think there are, I can totally see the case for and against. I'm I am a little bit ambivalent on that, but I also think it feels a bit like an itch they've got to scratch. And I think um, it could, you know, if if you even if you take away what he did uh, in that first spell, he does tick a lot of the boxes, you know, of what they want. So I, th- I think he 
remains a very attractive option. I mean, one manager who I really like is Thomas Frank, who I know people say he doesn't play attractive enough. He doesn't play attractive enough football. And there are a couple of things there. One, when they were in the championship, he played much more attractive football, and I think the way they play now is pragmatism a word that's often misused in football. People often describe Mourinho as pragmatic. I don't think he really is. I think he fundamentally believes in an ideology. He's dogmatic, not, yeah. Yeah, he's dogmatic. It's not an ideology you believe with. I think Thomas Frank is pragmatic in the sense that he knows he doesn't have players. You know, I think if, if you looked at just the quality of the players, Brentford would not be where they are in the Premier League. They're punching above their weight because they found a very, very effective way to play. And, you know, I watch that team and I'm just like, they're so much greater than the sum of their parts. They look well coached, well organized, you know, things that haven't always been the case for Spurs since Pochettino left. So he really appeals to me. And I think he'd be more adaptable than people think, especially given how how good they were in the championship. Who they will go for. I mean, it does depend slightly on how much influence Paratici has. You know, if he does, then we know he's a big admirer of Luis Enrique and our Spanish correspondent, um, Dermot Corrigan made the case for Enrique in, in, in this piece I mentioned um, which I can see I know some fans are a little bit put off on the basis really of the World Cup and that pretty dreadful game against Morocco which I accept was hugely soporific um, so I think it does depend on uh, on his influence then someone I mean I can I can imagine a situation where you know, that this need for a kind of someone you can get in straight away, Thomas Tuchel's available. It would very much follow the recent pattern of let's go for a win now, Chelsea hand me down, which I think would go down very badly with large sections of the fan base. It's also a bit unfair on Tuchel, who uh, he brings all of the kind of intensity baggage that uh, Antonio Conte brings and brought, for better or worse, but it's actually a very, very good tactical coach just a very good coach when he, he gets under gets in his stride. Yeah, and to be fair to him, he's a lot less far on that journey. I mean, I think th- this idea of managers having a shelf life of a decade or thereabouts. M- Miguel Delaney wrote a really interesting piece on this a couple of years ago, looking at that and sort of breaking down the numbers of how long elite managers stay at the top. And it was something like very consistently about twelve years. And I do remember the only a sort of caveat reservation I had about Conte when they appointed him was. When we did, we did a podcast on the day and I said, I think it's a really good appointment. I just wonder if he's on, if he if he is past his best and if it's the most imaginative that that Levy could have gone with. And I actually got a bit of pushback from fans being like, you know, how can you say that about the great Antonio Conte? Hopefully, Thomas Tuchel is less far along that journey. He is still, his coaching methods are still modern uh, and exciting. But he's also someone who's fallen out with, you know, his employers before and, I don't know. I don't to know be, how much. To be fair fa- to his, his, some of his former employers, they are notoriously easy to fall out with. So we put it no more strongly this is true. than that. He's at clubs. And he was where- actually, yeah. And he was actually very impressively diplomatic last season during that very difficult period at Chelsea. I thought he handled that brilliantly. He did. Yeah, he did. Uh, I thought he was in such a difficult position and it would have been so easy for him to do what I think most managers would have done, which is to say, I'm just here to talk about football. Yeah. And in fact, he answered, put, put in a basically unprecedented position for a manager to be in. I thought he I thought he was more honest than I would have expected him to be in, this, in those circumstances. I thought he was really impressive. Yeah, you contrast that with the Eddie Howe, I'm going to go away and educate myself bullshit. Um, yeah. And yeah, he, he was impressive. Jack, have you had any more thoughts in the last 72 hours about who? What I think Tottenham should do is do what they did in 2014, which is go for, and I don't mean specifically appoint Mauricio Pochettino, I mean appoint a young manager who is, you know, at the start, or not the start, but the the sort of first half of his career, who has very clear ideas about how he wants to play football, who has a real kind of hunger to prove himself at a higher level, and who can provide the club with that sense of a fresh start, because that's such a valuable thing in football, you know, clean slate for everyone, new set of ideas, get rid of the old players who don't buy into it, start bringing the new players who do. Like That, I think, is what Tottenham need right now. And that's this This might sound like an argument for Pochettino. It's not really an argument for Pochettino. No, it's, it's actually more... I Personally, I would, I'd love to see... I think De Zerbi is 
brilliant, and I would love to see Deserbi at the club. Uh, Ruben Amarim at Sporting has done fantastically well. I'd love to see him. So those are probably my two. You know, Tom, Thomas Frank would be great as well. Um, but those are probably the two that I like the most in terms of Pochettino. I've, I just have slightly mixed feelings about Pochettino. Like it's it, like Charlie says, he does tick all the boxes. I guess one of my reservations is. Everybody will want it to be 2014 to 2019, and it won't be, because it can't be. Like, Pochettino is different, Tottenham's very different. And I also feel like, you know, if you spend any time discussing Tottenham on the internet, as we do, or or even in real life, every single argument comes back to an argument about, well, Poch- it was, they were right to sack Pochettino, they were wrong to sack Pochettino, but they didn't back Pochettino, they didn't buy him the players he wanted, they didn't sell the players he wanted, and all, it's just this big, like, every argument comes back to 2019, it all comes back to the Champions League final and sacking him for Jose, and I just feel like if Pochettino came back, everybody would just be, we'd be relitigating all this stuff yet again, in the midst of a new Pochettino era, and it would, I mean, I think, well, the one thing they need as a football club, and maybe even as a fan base, and certain, maybe even as a group of players, is a new set of ideas and new personality, and some like a new a new kind of force that they can get behind, a new unifying force in in the guise of a new manager with a new set of ideas. And while Pochettino, I think, would be amazing in so many ways, both on an emotional level and frankly on a football level, yeah. because his football is miles better than the football we've seen for the last four years. I do have I have slight reservations for that reason. Yeah, I I see that, and that's why I am ambivalent about it. And I think it, it's it's a really interesting point about um, sort of looking back too much because I do think with Mourinho, what happened was for, for basically for Mourinho ever since about 2013, since that second spell at Chelsea, everything's been viewed through the prism of what came before. So it's it's actually really hard to look at things objectively because. And, and Pochettino would be the same. Everything that happens, there would be some sort of precedent from the first period. And so constantly you'd be saying like, oh, so he didn't play, he, he, he rested the goalkeeper for a cup tie, just like in the FA Cup semi-final of 2018. Or or on the flip side, you know, they they come back in a game and it's like, oh, well, this could be his Aston Villa moment or his Ajax moment. And it is really, that can really sort of, I don't know, gnaw away at you and eat away at your ability to look at things objectively and in the moment I also think it's really important uh if you know if fans don't want the kind of win now gun for hire sort of approach they've gone if if you do want someone who is more about a project longer term you will have to accept some bad times and I think you know generally fans are pretty good and James talked about this really well on Monday in that first season say at uh, Poch's first season at Spurs results weren't spectacular but you could see the direction of travel but there are going to be games you know and you saw you know Jurgen Klopp he in his first season was celebrating a home draw against West Brom and I'm sure there were some fans at that time saying like god look how far we've fallen we're celebrating a home draw against West Brom there are going to be if you want a long-term vision there are going to be some downtimes and it's up to everyone fan base oh, the owners I mean, whoever Charlie you 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 speak words of, of obvious truth. You only have to look at the the state of Arsenal's fan base less than two years ago, less than two years ago. And here's the team now apparently romping to the league title. You know, it, 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 getting antsy about about stuff when when things aren't going well in a, in, a, in a game or even a run of three games. I mean, I know we do it all the time here as well. Everyone does it. But the truth of the matter is all you're looking for is a feeling that some progress is being made. Um, a couple of quick things um, before we move on yet again. Uh, Emmanuel Adebayo has retired at age 39. I was asked by our producer what are my memories of his time at Spurs. I mean, a very good player, Emmanuel Adebayo. Probably had his best days at two other clubs. But, of course, he's forever now, whether he likes it or not, tainted by the saluting with Tim Sherwood. Comedy <laughs> saluting with Tim Sherwood. I'll make the point that Destiny Adogi is up for Player of the Month um, in Italy. I've tried to watch the Udinese games that I can. And he reminds me in some ways of, Dan- of, of the young Danny Rose. He is incredibly well-engined. He's getting forward fantastic. He often ends up, his destination is the center, center, is the penalty spot. I'm not sure he's a great defender yet, but that is the easier part to teach players. Which takes us on finally to a slightly bigger picture. Now, we will, we will do whole podcasts about this, I'm sure, in the future. Um, and Jack, you, you were on the podcast uh, on Monday where I kind of warned that whatever we said on the podcast um, would end up with people using 
Conte's speech to back up whatever point of view they have about Spurs, i.e. someone like me, that he was not a the correct fit as a manager and was not doing a very good job because of his his own needs. I don't want to use, I don't want to use words like agenda. They're loaded. His own needs beyond the football club. And, of course, we have to take into account everything that happened to him personally. But other people would say um, this is a sign that Enoch haven't backed yet another manager. And... And so it all unfolded. And I, we got a lot of praise for the podcast we did. Here's a podcast talking about itself now, which I think is only just just the right thing. We got a lot of praise for <laughs> some of the things that were said in the podcast, trying to bring some sense to a chaotic situation like artists. And then after that, as the news of the podcast and its record number of downloads spread out, people who don't normally listen to it were coming back and saying um, that uh, we are tainted by not being Enoch out enough, not being anti-Levy enough. But it was interesting, uh, Jack, to see that people like you and to a lesser extent me were being accused of being on the payroll of Daniel Levy. You're never going to convince people, you know, that because they are are so one issue. But it was interesting to watch all that unfold over the last few days. Yeah, I definitely think there are some people who are so anti-Enoch that they have basically decided to sympath they've decided to sympathize or even agree with what Antonio Conte said sure. on the weekend. I know that some of us I mean I sometimes I often get accused of being excessively pro Enoch. I know that quite a lot of other journalists do. Um I think this is slightly unfair because I think that we have been very critical of, of Daniel Levy, I think repeatedly. I think the yep. you know, just the other day when I wrote something about how the last few years have been like the, the sort of strategic disaster of Tottenham DNA. Totally. And then appointing Nuno and, and then And we Conte. have said that clearly. Yeah, and we have been very clear that the basically almost all the football decisions in the last sort of four or five years have, been, have got wrong. Ever since, basically from, from not allowing Pochettino to clear out the players he didn't want starting about 2017-18, so about five or six years ago, to backing... Put, finally signing players for Pochettino by the time that the the Pochettino era was clearly finished to sacking Jose before the League Cup final to appointing Nuno to replace him after kind of bottling a rebuild and then appointing Conte which was good I thought but then not giving Conte the conditions to be successful and and all the time all the while allowing his contract to run down so I'd like to think there has been what I think to be a sufficient amount of of Levy criticism on this podcast, as well as acknowledging the stuff that he's obviously done mm. really, really well, which we've done too. Um, so yeah, I get I'm slightly surprised by that 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 line of Charlie. Well, welcome back to the firing line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wrote in literally the piece, my first piece back was talking about how no one comes out of this looking good. The whole context experiment, not least Daniel Levy whose appointment, you know, the buck has to stop with him because it was, as Jack said earlier, it was very much his decision and it just hasn't worked out and just basically repeating the same mistakes that he'd made two years earlier. But there is a need for balance because there are other Premier League clubs, you know, if you think where, and people won't want, people don't like hearing this, but, you know, Daniel, it's not simple. It's not good or bad. Daniel Levy's made some bad decisions. He's done some very good things for the club. You've heard it a million times, the stadium, the training ground. And if you want to look at real mismanagement, look at an Everton or a club like that, who let's not forget, you know, Spurs were 20 years ago, they were a mid-table team. They were sort of going nowhere. They were in that kind of Everton space uh, or where Everton were a few years back before they went a lot further. So it's not an easy thing that they're now, you know, they were going to be one of the European Super League teams. Their European regulars are in the Champions League a lot. But, you you know, two things can be true at once. They did incredibly well to get to that sort of upper echelon of English football, the regular in the Champions League, but mistakes were made that has prevented them from kicking on beyond that. Um, that, to me, is the crux of it. So, and I think we, we make those they're, points. And they're still overperforming. They're still punching above their weight. You know, this is a team... Yeah. What, what, six, they're fourth. Sixth, seventh biggest oh, wage bill. Exactly. And the, look, several things. I can't become somebody... Uh, it, it's... It's not there for me, partly because of the things you say. There's a, a, a more balanced picture. The idea that I have any real power in changing the ownership of Tottenham Hotspur, they're a privately, this is, whether I like it or not, and I don't like it, I much prefer the German model, even if it restricts their teams in Europe and things like that. Um, and I'm not sure that, short of boycotting the product, which none of us can do because this is the 
bind that all football fans are in, what can do about it. Secondly, as I pointed out a few days ago, it's not all about... They haven't won trophies, um, the, Spurs, the Spurs management group won trophy. Um, and a long time ago, admittedly, totally, and frustrating as that is, Again, what Jack is referring to there is a recent piece of research someone's done. If you compare wage bills to achievement over the last five or six years in the Premier League, Spurs are the third most successful team. Brighton are second, and incredibly Manchester City are first because their manager is a genius. And he's getting even out of the players he's got, he's getting more and more and more. We're running out of time, and so... um, we haven't had a chance for me to, to expound my theory that if they get Pochettino and they should might as well get Bielsa as well and have him as director of football um, but so, to guarantee that throughout the club everybody is playing nine up front rather than nine at the back. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll expand on that in, in a future podcast. Don't look at me like I'm mad. I have sometimes sometimes get these things <laughs> right. Remind me both of you what, you what people can read that you've written in the last uh, few hours for, for people on The Athletic. Yeah, the main piece that I've done is this one looking at the fact that no one comes out of the whole Conte experiment looking looking good. Uh, be that Conte, Levy, us, the media, the club itself. Um, and then Jack and I both contributed to this, who should the next Spurs manager be? What about yourself, Jack? I'm not doing any work. I'm just sat here refreshing the Spurs official Twitter page. <laughs> okay, see, wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing? Wait to see what happens. Well, wouldn't it be amazing and wouldn't it help every you know the, the people who... Don't think we're um, eating it out enough. Wouldn't it be amazing if this long silence is because he's not appointing a new manager, he's negotiating the sale of the club? listening as always uh, to the view from the lane from the athletic if you're not already an athletic subscriber you really should sign up now to read all of the incredible spurs coverage that's the correct word it is incredible as well as everything else on the site it's simple as well and it's relatively cheap too just go to theathletic.com forward slash spurs pod and sign up right now for 199 a month uh, for the first 12 months that's theathletic.com forward slash spurs pod Thank you all for listening. The ticking of the clock for Antonio Conte continues. Hopefully we'll have more to report in a few days' time. Till then. The Athletic.